This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I am super excited to um, bring the message this morning. And I love that actually that it's February 18th, 18. So new beginnings, new, be- new beginnings. It's like double-double. Um, I don't drink double-double coffee, but uh, <laughs> um, it's double-double this morning. It's new beginnings. God is making all things new over each and every one of your lives this morning. Can I say to you, if you are here this morning, God has something special for you. This is not an accident. This is God is wanting to speak a word into your life this morning in such a way that truly you will walk out of here with a life changed and new things happening in your life. This is a changing day in your life, if I can quote Dr. Phil. Is that all right? I don't follow all his stuff, but I do know that phrase. Um, This is a changing day in your life. So um, we have been doing a revival series. I don't know how many. Oh, I think it's been six weeks because I'm doing number seven. Um, We've been talking about the Father's presence and that reflection of when his presence comes, that reflection. And we've been talking about revival and in seeing Jesus and how that leads us to a place of repentance. And this morning, we're going to be talking about kingdom. We're going to talk about spiritual empowerment and the fact that the kingdom means ruling and reigning. And um, I'm super excited about this morning to be talking about that because for some of you, you might have recognized that there just seems to be this revelation that just keeps overwhelming me about what does the kingdom mean and how does that apply to our lives and and I feel like God is coming in this revival and it's and I'm going to speak a little bit about this a little bit later but it's an awakening of the kingdom of God it's it's reviving what maybe have has gotten lost in the past it's been spoken of it has been taught but it's kind of gotten pushed to the wayside or maybe under our feet and we don't understand the power of the understanding of the kingdom of God, that it is God ruling and reigning here on earth, and that he has given that kingdom to each one of us. I want to start with reading Matthew 3, uh, verses 1 to 17, although, um, just so you know, I'm not going to read all 17 verses. (laughs) They are collapsed a little bit. This is in the message, and it says this, while Jesus was living in the Galilean hills, John called the baptizer, was preaching in the desert country of Judea. His message was simple and austere, like his desert surroundings. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. John and his message were authorized by Isaiah's prophecy. Thunder in the desert. Prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. There at the Jordan River, those who came to confess their sins were baptized into a changed life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next. The main character in this drama, and we know that to be Jesus, will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. The kingdom of God is here, changing us, giving us a kingdom life, changing us from the inside out. 
verse 12. He's going to clean house. He's going to make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. And everything that is false, he'll put out with the trash to be burned. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit burn within us. When, I was, when we were singing that this morning, all I could think of was that, that particular verse, that he's going to make a clean sweep of our lives, that he's going to take out everything that is not of God, and he's going to put it out in the trash. Oh, but everything that is God, that treasure in earth and vessels, he's going to, he's going to put it in its proper place, and it's going to be revealed as treasure. It's going to be revealed as glory, and it will bring glory to Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. Amen? Jesus then appeared, arriving at the Jordan River from Galilee. He wanted John to baptize him, and John objected. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, not you. But Jesus insisted. Jesus always does things in proper order. Jesus always makes sure that he is absolutely aligned with God in his will in order to bring that which God has preordained for his people. And Jesus insisted. He said, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. So John did it. The moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened up and he saw God's spirit. It looked like a dove descending and landing on him. And along with the spirit, a voice, this is my son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. Do you know that because Jesus did the proper thing, because he was baptized in, in those waters through John, he was baptized in repentance, although he had no need to repent. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ doing all on behalf of humanity so that when we repent, we too can be forgiven and that the kingdom of God would come upon us and that we would have open heavens over our lives and that when we are in Christ, he would be able to say then to each one of you who have received Jesus Christ this morning, you are my daughter. You are my son in whom I love and have delight. Matthew 4, 17 and 23 in the message also says this. The moment Jesus started preaching, he picked up where John left off. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. In other translations, you might recognize that as repent. The kingdom of God is here. But it says change your life. The kingdom is here. And he went all over Galilee and he used synagogues for meeting places and he taught people the truth of God. And God's kingdom was his theme that beginning right now, they were under God's government, a good government. You know, we've been talking about in this revival and when Pastor Cameron first introduced it, uh, he said something to the effect that Jesus didn't actually preach revival Although that term revive is in the New Testament, Jesus actually never preached revival, but he preached the kingdom. And when he preached the kingdom, revival came. You might be wondering, where where exactly did that happen? 
But if you think about from Malachi to Matthew, to the Gospel of Matthew, there was 400 years of silence. There was absolutely no voice of God speaking to God's very own people for 400 years. Can you imagine? We can't even go for a day without hearing from God, let alone 400 years. And we, we, uh, America isn't even close to 300 yet. But for 400 years, there was silence. Nothing. And they didn't, even before that, they didn't have God speaking to them all the time. They had prophets who would come and speak the word of the Lord. And then there would be silence. They heard about God. They talked about God. But they didn't feel his presence like we can today. But then between Malachi and Matthew, there was 400 years of silence. Then suddenly, here comes John the Baptist. Here comes a voice crying in the desert, saying, change your life, repent. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom that has been prophesied throughout the ages, the kingdom that has been prophesied since the beginning is about to come. Wow. And then here comes Jesus. And he says, repent, change your life. The kingdom of God is now here. And then he gets baptized And the heavens are opened over Jesus Christ. That's revival. That's revival. And he began to preach that the kingdom of heaven is here. That the the heavens are already opened. All you have to do to to receive and, and experience that open heaven is to repent and change your life. And for us sitting here this morning, you might be saying, but I've already changed my life. I've already received salvation. And I'm going to say to you, that is true. And the kingdom of God is now inside of you. You have open heavens in, inside of you. But some of us go, but I can't seem to access it. So maybe this morning, the voice to you after silence would be to say, repent. Change your life. The kingdom of heaven is here, but sometimes we can't feel it or access it because there are things in our lives that obstruct the presence of God from being tangibly felt. That's not an easy message, I know, this morning. But I'm going to say to you that if you want to walk out of here changed, sometimes we have to hear the hard things or what we think is a hard thing. Can I say to you that actually Jesus sees the word repentance as a beautiful word. Do you know why? (laughs) Because it means that we change our mindset. It means that if we have a mindset that lines up with the enemy, we change it. We repent of it. And we come into alignment with God's mindset. And when we come into alignment with God's mindset and his perspective is, and his understanding of, of how the kingdom works and, and how it's going to work here on earth, then he knows that his love and his presence is going to infiltrate. It's going to pass to us. It's going to um, explode in our lives. It's going to outpour from inside out. It's a beautiful word, repentance. Um, you know, that term kingdom it also, it's the concept that it's God's kingdom and governance here on earth. It's his rule and it's his reign. It's about his 
dominion. So the, when God's kingdom came, it was about bringing God's dominion and his rule and reign here on earth. And for those that would accept it and receive it, it would be receiving the rule and reign of, and dominion of God in each one of our hearts. And, you know, when we look at the Bible, um, if there are any uh, Bible scholars here outside of the pastors, of course, <laughs> um, you might have heard or heard somebody speak about the concept that there are things in the Bible that are described. So it's an event that has been described. It's been a, a description has been given. And then there are things that are prescribed. And those are the things that Jesus would say, this is a prescription for you. Here, go do it, and it's going to give you the right treatment. It's going to help you to heal. And it's the prescribed things that throughout the Bible we want to pay very close attention to. It's not the descriptive events, although they're wonderful and they tell a story and they might like, help us understand a context, etc. It's the prescribed things of God throughout the Bible that we want to pay attention to. And, and when we look at the concept of the kingdom of God coming on earth, that is a prescribed thing. It is written from the old, from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament to the end and beyond. And we are the beyond. We are the extension of that kingdom of God. And it's those things that we have to pay attention to. So if we have in the past, the kingdom is talked about, but if it's kind of gotten put to the side, God is wanting to awaken it and revive it so that once again, we are doing the prescribed thing that we are actually sitting in and enacting uh, the thing that God has given us a prescription for. It's, you know, we don't want to go to the doctor and get the prescription and go, thank you, and then go and pay for it and spend all your money and then never use it. Maybe you do. That's kind of (laughs) silly. You know, that's like, that's like God. He's saying, if you have come to salvation, if you have come into the kingdom of God, I want to give you something that is a prescription that's going to heal you and change you and give you an abundant life. I don't want you to, to spend all your money. I don't want you to give everything and then not um, reap from that which you have taken in. Amen? So we want to completely understand uh, that the kingdom of God and what how God wants to explain it to us is exceptionally important. So now there are three parts to Christ's message when he preached the kingdom. So number one, Jesus preached and proclaimed kingdom, which was God's governance. And, and governance means this. It's the way the rules, norms, and actions are structured, sustained, regulated, and held accountable. So it's, it's not the government per se, but the governance. It's the system which allows the governmental leaders to enact principles that would govern a people. Um, number two, Jesus taught kingdom principles. And those kingdom principles are how the kingdom works. So principles are this, a fundamental truth that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior. It's how one reasons. So, for example, the Ten Commandments. Those are, those are commandments, but those are principles of how God says his kingdom works. So, um, number three, then, Jesus also mentored and commissioned kingdom activity and work. And that is the result of God's governance and rule. And in that governance and rule, it's a restoration of relationships. So, the, the result of, of that being mentored by Jesus and commissioned by Jesus in the activity and his work is that we have a restoration of relationship, which is salvation. And then there are miracles. And Jesus said, 
go and heal the sick, cast out demons, and raise the dead. You know, um, you might wonder, why, why are miracles so important? Why is it that Jesus specifically said to go and to heal the sick and to cast out demons and, and raise the dead? And why is it that there's such an opposition to miracles in our day? And it's because it reveals the love of Jesus Christ for humanity. If Jesus were to come and just bring us salvation, even that, of course, obviously reveals the love of Jesus, but sometimes that kind of gets hidden and we forget about it. But if there were no miracles, if there was no abundant life then being uh, lived out here tangibly on earth, we we might actually doubt the love of Christ for us. Because why would he come and why would he then just still leave us in a place of sickness and disease and, and things like that? Are we still living here on earth and we experience that? Absolutely. However, because the kingdom of God is inside of us, God asks us to stand in our authority and to come against those things because we are now living under another kingdom. We live under another rule in reign and dominion, and he then asks us to extend that rule in reign and dominion here on earth for those that are experiencing that so that those that are lost can also see and understand and reveal here the love of Jesus. Amen? Miracles are important. They just have to be kept right within their place, and that's within God's kingdom, the principles, and then their activity, their fruit. So all of the above equal what we know as the gospel, the good news. So we want to be enacting all three of those things that Jesus' message included. We want to be enacting every single one of those. So who here knows that in this day and in this age, that potentially miracles are not as prevalent as they should be? Amen? So there is an abundance to the gospel that we are wanting to hunger and thirst after and seek after to be revived, to be awakened inside of us that we would know that God wants to reveal his love through those things. And if we are not doing that, then there's a portion of Jesus's message that we're missing. We want that to touch our hearts this morning. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about the concept that there's only two kingdoms in the world. Um, So, There's the kingdom of God, right? And then there's the kingdom of the enemy. And sometimes we don't recognize that there are only two kingdoms. We almost think there's a kingdom of God and then there's a multi or a varied amounts of kingdoms in other ways, whether it's the kingdom of the world or our own individual kingdom, or the kingdom of the enemy. But can I say to you this morning, it's as simple as this. There's only two kingdoms. There's either the kingdom of God, which is his rule and reign and dominion, or there's the kingdom of the enemy, which is his rule, reign, and dominion. And so uh, when we're looking at our lives, it can be as black and white as, does this line up with the kingdom of God and his rule and reign? Or does this thought, this thing I'm feeling, this thing I'm doing, does it line up with the kingdom of the the enemy and his rule and his reign and his dominion? And that's actually going to help us to change our lives. It's going to help us to move into that beautiful place of repentance that anything that does not line up with God, we want to allow him to make a clean sweep of our lives. We want to allow him to take out those things of the enemy and put it in the trash and leave behind the treasure of God's word and God's kingdom. 
You know, we also tend to think that these two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of enemy, run parallel to each other, but they don't. They are on a kingdom collision course. If you have something running parallel, there is no point at which they connect in the future. But God says that the kingdom of the enemy and the kingdom of God is not running parallel to each other, that literally the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy are on a collision course. So when we, when we take a look at that, we're going to take a look today in terms of our own lives. Where is the kingdom of the enemy and the kingdom of God on a collision course in our own lives so that we can potentially change that course? So I just want to answer this question. What does it mean to be on a collision course? So to collide means come into conflict or opposition. It means to differ or disagree, be at odds, be incompatible. And to, to collide also means to hit with force when moving, to crash into, to hit, to strike, to impact, to run into, to bump into, to meet head on, to cannon into. And I thought that one was interesting because the Bible's called the cannon, right? Um, to cannon into, to plow into, to barrel into. And I just want to give a, a, a quick short little story, which is not true, but I think it represents uh, what collision means. So there's a ship and an unknown vessel in the, in the ocean. And the ship says, please divert your course five degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The unknown vessel responds, we recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The ship then responds, this is the captain of a Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The unknown vessel replies back, no, I say again, you divert your course. The ship, we are a large warship, divert your course now. Unknown vessel, this is a lighthouse, your call. <laughs> I, think, I think that's such a, a perfect description of the concept that it means that one has to change their course, amen? And when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to Jesus Christ... Who here knows that Jesus would come and say, I am the lighthouse. Your call. Do you know, God gives us a free will. We are on a collision course. So the kingdom of God is on a collision course with the kingdom of the enemy. But we have a free will and God will always come to you and he'll say, I'm the lighthouse. If you want to keep that thing in your life that belongs to the kingdom of the enemy, your call. But know this, you are on a collision course with the kingdom of God. And as we go through, you'll understand why that is so important that we recognize that. So I just want to um, share a, a brief vision that I had so the last time I spoke, it was December 3rd, and I had shared a couple of things that God had encountered me with and, and some visions that he'd given me. And um, it was the day after, it was literally the morning after that Sunday morning message that before I went into work, I just had, again, this encounter with God. And um, I just had this, it, was, it wasn't long, it was just this picture of two trains that collide but don't crash. And they merged, and there was no no beginning and there was no end. And I don't know how to describe it other than um, what I felt like God was saying was that as these trains were on the same course and they, and they collided, 
they just blended together. They merged. And when I was asking God, like, what does that mean? Um, what I felt right in that very moment was God said that the, the kingdom of God is about to, that's inside of people and the kingdom of God, the outpouring of his spirit that's beginning to come from without, they are on a collision course. So what's inside of you and what God is pouring out is on a collision course and they will collide, but they won't crash. They will merge and it will be an everlasting kingdom. I felt like God was saying that he was about to empower his people. If they get rid of the things of the enemy, that they're going to merge with the things of God that he's pouring out in this season. And it's going to be an everlasting thing. And I think that's kind of ties into a little bit with what each one of our hearts has been experiencing or really crying out for that this this revival that we're we're seeking and that we're hungering for and as it and it is moving and as it gains momentum that it would just never end that it would be everlasting and um and then i was asking god you know in the upcoming weeks like okay so that's a wonderful vision you know there's got to be more of a message to it. What is that message? And I felt like God was saying that the basic message is that we have a choice of which kingdom collision course we are on, but there is going to be a collision. And he identified that there are three different collision courses that we could potentially be on. So today I just want you to, you know, maybe take off your thinking hat and let your heart hear. What, God, what collision course God wants to speak to you this morning in where your heart is. So collision course number one is that the kingdom of God collides with the kingdom of the enemy. So letter A, there is a collision of temptation. So we see this collision from the time of Adam and Eve's sin. And then as sin entered the entire world, we see it throughout the entire Old Testament as God began to call his people out of the world and make them his chosen people. And in James 1 and 4, and it's not on the slide, in the New Living Translation, it says this, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. I believe that there are there is a collision of the enemy's kingdom with God's kingdom when we allow our own desires to tempt us and to draw and drag us away. There is a, there's a place where um, we end up colliding with the kingdom and the enemy and either we change our lives and we repent or we keep going and doing what we're doing and then our hearts harden. So there is a collision of temptation. Letter B, there's a collision of opposition, and this is in the positive sense, that the kingdom of God will collide with the kingdom of the enemy in a collision of opposition. You know, we see that collision throughout the entire Bible. And uh, Matthew 2 and 13 says this, After the scholars were gone, God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream and commanded, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. We can see in this particular scripture, and we know it in the Old Testament with Moses and and all of the old prophets, that the kingdom of God was in opposition to the kingdom of this world, of the enemy. And it was in opposition to the rule and the reign and the mindset and the perspectives of the things that were on this world or in this world. And when we see it here in this, the scripture that we just read is that when, um, 
Jesus was born, that there was just already this opposition to the kingdom of God coming on earth in such a tangible way as Jesus Christ. Although the enemy didn't know exactly what Jesus was going to do, because otherwise he never would have crucified him. But he knew there was something special about this baby. He knew, and, and even the, the kingdoms of this world knew that this person was being prophesied as a king. And the kings of those times wanted to kill him. So it was two kingdoms that were in opposition to each other. So there may very well be some, some things in our lives that, that are colliding in opposition, but those things are not necessarily negative from God's perspective. It'll be potentially negative from our perspective because <laughs> it's not always easy. You know, the, the Bible says that, that literally God did not come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword. Let that sink in. <laughs> he literally says that in families, there's going to be a sword that comes between parent and child, child and parent. Why is that so? Again, it's that concept. Repentance is beautiful. The sword is beautiful. And the reason is, is that Jesus Christ does not want anybody to perish. So he will come and he will bring a sword against our mindsets and our perspectives and our heart attitudes and our behaviors because he knows that if we keep going on the course we're going, we're going to collide. And we're going to be crushed in it. And we're not going to receive the salvation and or the abundant life that Jesus Christ has provided for us and potentially even down the road if we do not repent then we could actually lose our salvation. So the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he will confront us. He will tell us the truth whether we like it or not, (laughs) whether we get the warm fuzzies or not. Do you know why? Because he loves us. He says, I see where that course is taking you. I see the destruction that it's doing in your life. I see where, I, I see the future. I see where it's taking you. So I come to you and I say, change your life. Do you know the lovely thing is, is he says the kingdom of God is here. He says the kingdom of God is here and it's going to collide. But he also says the kingdom of God is here and I'm going to empower you to change your life because of the kingdom. If we, if we align to his rule and to his reign and his dominion, he empowers us to change our lives. The repentance, the changing of our lives starts with only our yes. God, I want to change my life. I want to change my mind. I want to change my behaviors. I'm going to read from the New Testament. It says this, and this is uh, about Stephen. For those who don't know who Stephen was, he was um, a server. And he was full of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And he was bold. And it says about Stephen, it says, Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But resistance arose. They began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up to his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. So they stirred up the people and elders and scribes. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And then, In that particular passage, it goes on that Stephen recites the opposition that God's prophets in the Old Testament had received and that the religious leaders at at this 
the ones that Stephen was addressing, had also murdered Jesus. And then he goes on to say, And on hearing this, the members of the Sanhedrin were enraged, and they gnashed their teeth at him. And at this, they covered their ears, they cried out in a loud voice, and they rushed together at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. We can know where there is real power, there is going to be opposition. So the kingdom of God will come into a collision with the kingdom of the enemy. And this is in a positive sense. But again, like for us, it's going to feel negative, but it's positive in the sense that it causes the kingdom of the enemy to either acknowledge the kingdom of God. And we all know that the Bible says that there will come a day when every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I just want to say one more thing about that concept of the opposition when it comes to miracles. So uh, this is when Peter, uh, they went and they healed a lame man. And it says this, Peter literally says, um, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed? And they go on and, and talk about um, what they had done for this disabled man. But Peter and John had been brought before the elders just because they had performed a miracle. And so there's opposition to when we preach the kingdom, we teach the kingdom, and then we do the activity of the kingdom. There's going to be opposition that comes against the kingdom of God, and there's going to be a course collision. Course number two, there's a collision with the kingdom of God. Because we are in the kingdom, but living like the kingdom of the enemy, and or putting on the brakes. So Matthew 12 and 30 in the message says this, this is a war and there is no neutral ground. If you are not on my side, you're the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. You know, Jesus, um, when he was speaking to, they, he was in opposition. They were telling him that Jesus, you're casting out demons and you're healing the sick by a spirit of demons. And Jesus said to, said to them, he said, every kingdom divided against itself will be laid waste. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. There is a collision with the kingdom of God. So if we have, or the kingdom of the enemy, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. If we're living like the enemy, we're in a collision course with the kingdom of God. And um, there was a, a speech, and I believe actually it was before Abraham Lincoln became president. Uh, but don't quote me on this. And it was called House Divided. And he went before the house, and he basically in the speech said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So he was... He was referring to the Bible, but what he was referring to was when it was, um, they were trying to decide between legalizing freedom for the slaves and setting them free, and basically he was saying to them, if we are a house divided, and some of us uh, believe in freedom, and some of us believe in slavery, then this house, this government will not stand. It's going to be annihilated. It's on a collision course. And he said, either we will be one for all freedom, or we will be for all slavery. But we have to be one. There is no neutral ground. Um, you know, if, if you have something divided, there is no neutral ground. You can't, um, 
there, there is no unity. There is no oneness because things are, everybody's thinking differently, right? And so that brings us into a place of being in colliding with the kingdom of God. If we have a different mindset, if we are divided um, against the kingdom of God, if we are living like the enemy, but in the kingdom of God, then we are divided and we have to be either for one or for the other. There is no neutral ground. Um, the third course is collision with the kingdom of God in a different sense. <laughs> um, where the kingdom of God inside meets the kingdom outpouring that God is releasing. And we merge, creating an everlasting momentum of the presence of God. This is the only collision that can collide and not crash. So this is, this is the vision of the train that I was talking about. This is the third course. Um, collision course. This is where the kingdom of God inside of us, that when we are lining up with the rule and reign and dominion of God and the, the kingdom of God that God is releasing over his people in this season, we collide together, but there is no collision in that. There is a convergence. And convergence means to tend or move toward one point or one another, to come together or to meet to come together and unite in a common interest or focus, to approach a limit as the number of terms increases without limit. And um, in my previous message, I talked about that concept that when um, Carling had been singing and we were singing, we want more, and all I could see were these train wheels saying, we want more, we want more, and they were gaining momentum. And as we were crying out, God, we want more, the, the Holy Spirit was saying, I want more, you want more, I want more. And the train wheels were just beginning to, to move, and then they were gaining momentum. And... Um, then I, and that, that particular day, I had seen the, the vision of the two funnels where there was a, a funnel that was coming up from the earth and meeting in the middle of the heavens. And then there was a, a funnel of God's presence coming down and they were, they were merging in the middle. And, um, I feel like that's what God was saying with this train, that this, there is this train, this kingdom of God train that's inside of us, his dominion, his rule, his reign. And there's this outpouring and awakening and revival of the kingdom of God that is pouring on his people in this season and between the two that we're going to converge we're not going to collide there's going to be no collision there's going to be no crash it's going to be a convergence and it's this course that we want to be on and the only way that we can be on this course if we allow Jesus Christ to come into our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit and make a clean sweep of every hindrance every voice of the enemy every mindset every perspective every sin if God can come in and he can do a sweep, if he can be your housekeeper, if you will, for a season, he will cause you, those who are sitting in the kingdom of God, but potentially living like the kingdom of the enemy, or maybe you're living in the kingdom of God and you're putting on the brakes. God is saying, if you will allow me to align you with my rule in my reign, in my dominion, then when the power and the presence of God, the kingdom that is coming comes, it will not crush you. You will not collide, but you will converge. And there will be an everlasting momentum and movement of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I just want to read from Acts 1 and 8 to 14. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. 
These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there staring into the empty sky. Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes. They said, you Galileans, why do you stand here looking up at an empty sky? See, the kingdom was about to come into humanity, and the skies were empty because it was start. It was going to be entering into their hearts. And, it's, and he says this, this very Jesus who was taken up from among you to heaven will come as certain Certainly and mysteriously as he left, they went to the upper room they had been using as a meeting place, and they agreed they were in this for good, completely together in prayer. They were in convergence. So other translations for um, where it says they agreed they were in this for good, completely together in prayer, other translations say in one accord or in unity. Commentaries describe one accord as knit by a bond stronger than death. And if I can put this forth to you this morning, what I would say it is, it's a convergence of a unified, deep yes from all those that were present. So a yes on earth for them was a yes in heaven. There was such a deep, unified yes. There was no division. They weren't one for one thing and one for another. They weren't wanting to be a part of the world anymore. Can you imagine what it was like for them to come out from Israel, to come out from um, all of the opposition that they had received, even up to the crucifixion of the one that they that they that was their leader that they followed, and yet they said, "We believe him. We have seen him go into the heavens, and he's told us to wait. So we're going to go, and we're going to wait in one accord. We have a deep yes, a deep unified yes that each one of us is in this for good. We're in this completely. We are together, and because of that, there was no not just a a mental assent or an idea, but it was a heart and mind yes, that they wanted to fulfill the call of God, that they wanted to be a witness empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in that convergence, in the upper room, they knew that to his kingdom, there would be no end. They had knew, they knew that it had been prophesied throughout the whole entire um, uh, lifespan of humanity that had been prophesied that there would come a Messiah, that there would come a king, and to and on his shoulders that kingdom would lay, and to that kingdom there would be no end. And I'm going to end with this, that there are three kingdoms. Uh, sorry, not three kingdoms, but there are three things that rest upon Jesus. So number one, the kingdom of God rests on Christ's shoulders. Daniel 7 and 14 says this, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Number two, the kingdom of God will crush all other kingdoms. Daniel 2 and 44 says this, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. And number three, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign is extended through us. So if I can just repeat there for two seconds that it's the kingdom of God rests on Christ's shoulders. The kingdom of God that rests on his shoulders will crush all other kingdoms. And then number three, the kingdom of God is extended. His rule and reign, his dominion is extended through us. 
Revelations 1 and 6 says this, He has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So a question that we want to answer this morning and that we want to ask from this is what can we take from this? Matthew 5 and 48 says, In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. You know, we tend to preach kingdom principles to gain position in the kingdom for kingdom power. But Christ taught from his position in the kingdom and caused power to be released, to bring kingdom governance principles and his activity on earth. And I just wanted to explain that in the context of royalty because it says that he has made us a kingdom of priests. And it's like this, that if um, you don't live, we don't live royal principles to become royal, right? Queen Elizabeth doesn't live royal principles. She doesn't just put on the dress and the crown and go and shake hands and do the queen lave and wave and, you know, help with the government and say yes, nay, or yay, or those kinds of things. She doesn't do that to become royal. It's because she is positioned as royal that she then lives out royal principles and releases its power. So we are part of a kingdom of priests. We are not pulling the kingdom down from heaven. It's already here. The kingdom is here, right? Jesus said the kingdom is here. We are an extension of that kingdom, so we release it. Um, There's a great quote from Bill Johnson. He says, you can't draw on something that you don't know exists. So if you have no money in your account, you can't write a check on it, right? Because it's not even there. Um, So if you don't know your position, you won't draw on its power in what is yours. So some of the the collision that we have in this day and this age is that we actually have lost a portion of our identity. We've lost a portion of our position. We've lost, a, we've lost our power because we are living in the kingdom of God, but potentially like the enemy. And God says, today there is no neutral ground. The kingdom of heaven is here. And he wants us to align with the kingdom of God so that we can rule and reign and bring dominion and and extend his kingdom here on earth. But we can't extend his kingdom with the power and the presence that God wants us to if we are unwilling to change our lives, if we are unwilling to allow him to align us and make that clean sweep of our lives, amen? I want to end with this, though, that if we allow God to change our lives, if we allow him to make that clean sweep, Matthew 12 and 32 says this, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And God says that when we align our lives with his kingdom, when we align our lives with his rule and his reign and his dominion, that all of heaven will back you up. God won't empower what he didn't mandate, but God empowers what he has commissioned. Matthew 28, 18 and 20 says, God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, the kingdom life. 
marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all that I have commanded you. I will be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.